0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So, there are issues that we should be making progress on, and we could if there's a seriousness of purpose and a commitment to bargain uh, until we get a resolution.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and we're in the mayor's office. So it stands to reason that we have Mayor Lightfoot. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. So now you know why big city mayor is the toughest job in America. Political fire is constantly going off (laughs) and intransigent problems. So let's get to a couple of those. Sure. Here's an unexpected one. Eddie Johnson, Mm -hmm. found slumped over in his car, orders an investigation of himself, Was that handled properly? You had a sergeant, a lieutenant, and a commander who all showed up at the scene? No sobriety test? Well, look, um, it was the right thing to call for an investigation.
0: That investigation will play itself out. Um, He did call me ahead of time to give me um, a heads up before the the news broke, which I appreciated. Um, But, you know, Everybody, whether it's a superintendent or a beat uh, patrol officer, has to abide by the rules, and there's an investigation that's open, and we'll see how that plays itself out. A sobriety <clears>
1: test <throat> not done, and now it's too late.
0: Well, look, <clears throat> I don't want to prejudge the internal affairs investigation. I think that would be inappropriate for me, as mayor in particular. Um, and so we'll see what happens. Um, with that investigation. I know what the superintendent told me, which is that he was having some medical issues this week. He was changing medication. Um, he didn't feel well. He pulled off to the side and then IED will sort out the rest of it. Shouldn't there have been a sobriety mm-hmm. test? Well, as Wouldn't said, anyone else have had one? Well, as I said, I don't want to prejudge the facts. Um, we need to let the internal investigation play itself out. Do you buy his story? I have no I have no reason to doubt that he has. Obviously, we know that he's had some medical issues. He's on the other side of a kidney operation, which is obviously very, very serious. Um, there have been some issues with high blood pressure and so forth. So he was changing his medication. I know myself, when I've taken medication, sometimes it has side effects. Um, I know from, from uh, my parents. So I, I take him at his word. Um, The investigation will sort out the the details. Um, I know that he uh, went to see his doctor again yesterday, so we'll see what happens with the investigation. Did you ask him if he'd been drinking? I listened to what he told me. I know that he'd been out um, to dinner with some folks, um, and as I said, he told me he was driving home, he felt um, ill, and he pulled over to the side of the road, which um, uh, was, he believed, the prudent thing to do. So we'll see what the investigation holds. Did you ask him if he'd been drinking? I didn't ask him that question specifically. He revealed to me that he'd had a couple of drinks with dinner.
1: Oh, he did. And is that okay? Is that okay? Should he have been driving then? Well, look, again, I'm going to let the investigation play itself out. Um,
0: He's a grown man. He had a couple of drinks at dinner is what he told me. But he shouldn't be driving if he did. Well, I, I, I can't say that. I'm, I can't say that. I don't think you can say that. But but no matter what, I think we've got to let the investigation play itself out.
1: But even if, let's say his story is correct and that it's with change in medication, does it indicate a larger medical issue, which we know he has, that would maybe precipitate you to make a decision to not mm-hmm. keep him on well, or play a role in your decision that you haven't made yet?
0: Uh, look, I, d- I don't want to speculate like that. Um, and I want to give him... Um, respect. So we will see what the circumstances are. Um, He called me up, let me know about it ahead of time. And there's an investigation going on. And we'll we'll see where the facts take us.
1: But you haven't had that conversation with him yet, Mm -hmm. that larger conversation about whether he stays on past the summary you wanted to get through. We're through it now. Why not? Well, we will have that when, when the time is right. When will the time be right be after soon. your budget? No, Do you not, not want to get into it because you have so many other fires to put out?
0: Well, no, no, it's not that. It's, it's. There, you know, obviously, there's a lot going on. Um, he was out of town for a little bit of time, taking um, a vacation. We'll have the conversation when the time is right.
1: For example, we have an IG investigation mm-hmm. of a murder or or a suicide mm-hmm. that may have been a murder. Mm-hmm. And he ordered a five-day suspension for these two police officers. Does that seem right to you? Does that seem awfully lenient?
0: Well, I haven't read um, the IG's report. I only know about it because one of your colleagues has been following this case extensively.
1: Um, so I can't judge it because I don't know the specific facts. So you, what do you have even an impression of how he handled that?
0: Well, what, what I'm more concerned about is... Um, um, issues regarding the medical examiner's um, determinations. Um, it's highly unusual for the FBI to get involved in a way that it that it did. So I think there's a lot of um, uh, unknowns there, but I haven't read the IG report, so I'm low to comment any further.
1: So what will your decision on Eddie Johnson be based on then?
0: Well, Look, you got to in something this serious. There's not a lot of people in the country that can be the leader of the second largest police department um, in the country. Um, On any given day, maybe there's there's ten or less that can actually do the job. And I know this, having gone through a police superintendent search uh, previously. Um, So there's there's a lot that it that takes to be a leader of a department like this. It's not just crime strategy. It's not just um, community relations. Um, It's all all of those things and much, much more. So I don't take that decision lightly. Um, I've known um, Eddie Johnson since he became superintendent. And at that time, I was the president of the police board. We've obviously gotten to know each other uh, much, much better um, since I've become mayor. Um, I've seen him Um, through tough times where he's had to go when officers have been wounded or killed. It takes a lot to do that job, and I don't take that decision lightly. So I look at the totality of the traits um, that are necessary to to do it. Um, and he came in at a really difficult time um, for the department and really, I think, stabilized things when I think a lot of people felt like the department was, was unmoored. And we have to give him credit for stepping up and into the, the breach at a time when uh, the department was really under siege. And I don't take that. I will take that, of course, into consideration. So we will
1: have the conversation when the time is right. The teacher strike has the look and feel of a long one, unfortunately. Does I it? hope not. Does it I to you? Not. I mean, there seems to be not a sense of urgency on the other side, breaks for rallies and things and dinners and so on and conferences and things. It looks like it could go a while.
0: Well, I hope not. And that's part of the reason why we called for, um, from this point forward, that a commitment on the part of the union to bargain at least 10 hours a day, every day, and that one of the principals, either Jesse Sharkey as president or Stacey Davis Gates as vice president, be at the table for the duration. That's the only way we're going to actually get something done. There's got to be a seriousness of purpose. There's got to be increased urgency now that not only are teachers out on strike, but our kids aren't in school. And we're committed to doing everything that we can, bargaining seven days a week to get to a
1: resolution. And when you ask for that, when you ask for the 10 hours a day, one of them at least be present, what do they say?
0: I don't believe that they've gotten back to us yet on that. So that tells you. Well, but they're at the table today. Um, I do want. And my team wants an an, an answer to that and a commitment um, that they are going to be there at the table
1: as long as it takes to get a deal done. But what are they going to get out of a strike? You say you're not giving any more money because we can't. And so you're not going to extend the school day to make up for strike days. Mm -hmm. What exactly are they going to get out out of a deal other than a piece of paper that says, I'm going to honor my commitments that I've already made to staffing.
0: No, I, I,
1: I think that really um, undersells what we have put on the table. No, I don't mean to say that, but I'm saying what more can you give is what I'm asking.
0: Well, look, I think there's still a, n- a number of open issues that aren't necessarily tied to um, compensation that we can and should resolve. We should resolve their concerns about class sizes, even though 80 percent of the system doesn't have any issues with class sizes. We should address Um, Staffing. I think we put a very fair proposal on the table that we're waiting for them to react to. And my understanding is that today is going to focus on um, staffing and also special education. So there are issues that we should be making progress on. And we could, if there's a seriousness of purpose and a commitment to bargain uh, until we get a resolution.
1: Are you worried that a system that is already hemorrhaging students and has big, almost empty buildings, high schools mostly, will hemorrhage more because teachers and parents rather will say, you know what, I need stability. I'm not going to keep my kid in this system.
0: Well, I don't think uh, we're going to see hemorrhaging more. But yes, of course, when young parents are thinking about whether or not they're going to stay in the city and live, one of the things that they think about is, What's the quality of the public um, public schools? What is the school that my son or daughter can go to? And stability is a big part of that equation. So yes, of course we need to have stability because that's in the best interest of the city writ large. If we have less people in the city, that means we have less people um, who are really contributing to the vitality of our neighborhoods. It shrinks the population within CPS. It shrinks our tax base. So it is in everyone's best interest that our CPS system has stability.
1: It's critically important. If we're talking about overcrowded classrooms, shouldn't we also at the bargaining table be talking about closing schools? Well, I don't think that we're
0: there yet. We've made a commitment um, that we're not going to do any school closures. That is a last, last resort. And candidly, um, in my view, when we're closing schools, that says that we've failed. And we're not gonna do anything along those lines. I mean, certainly not in the near future, but we would never do it um, without being in consultation with the families and the students who are gonna be most affected. But we're not there yet, CPS is made. Um, no declaration whatsoever that any kind of school closures um, are are imminent. So it's not even a topic that we're thinking about.
1: Well, Janice Jackson says that you will be and are in discussion with south and west side neighborhoods where you have those big empty buildings and that When you do it, it'll be along the lines of Englewood High School where you have a big investment, you may close some schools, but you give them something in return. Well,
0: I don't want to raise the specter of of school closures because it's just not on the agenda at all.
1: Okay. Your budget. Wednesday, you'll be standing before the city council and delivering your first budget message. Will there be a property tax increase?
0: Um, I can't take that off the table, but we've been working really hard to avoid doing that. I think our team has done a number of things from closing credit uh, lines of credit that we don't need, restructuring financing to save hundreds of millions of dollars, um, looking at efficiencies really um, across the entire enterprise of the city. So I think we've done very, very well to really bring the um, budget down to size. We still need some help from Springfield. I've not been shy about saying that. We want and need A real estate transfer tax that's going to be progressive that will give 85% of the people who sell their homes actual relief and then gradually in a progressive way um, climb up um, to higher end properties, whether they're homes or um, commercial properties. So we've got some work to do and we have variables. Um, that we're relying upon. And my hope is that we will get relief from Springfield that we need and thereby avoid a large property tax.
1: So you'll tell the city council if we get the transfer tax and if we get the casino fix that we need, either in the form of the city-state ownership thing or a restructured tax, that you will avoid the property tax increase. But if you don't get those two things, there will be one.
0: Look, there are limited tools that American can use to generate substantial revenue. Property tax is really chief among them. It's certainly my hope to avoid a large property tax increase. I've heard that message loud and clear, whether it's people coming up to me on the street, our budget town halls, um, people have filled out the surveys related to our budget. They don't want a property tax increase. That has become a real
1: sticking point for a lot of people. But if you don't get those two things... You're going to get. You're going to have a property Listen, tax increase. Our, if we
0: don't get those two things, our our options are severely limited.
1: Okay, so how large will it have to be? Will it be two hundred million or or three hundred million? Well, I'm hope, my hope is that we're not going to have um, a a massive property tax increase. So I'm
0: working towards doing everything we can to get alternative sources of revenue so we can avoid a property tax increase.
1: Right, but you're saying that if you don't get the things from Springfield, you're going to have to have one. And how large will it be? Is what I'm asking. Well,
0: it, it it's really going to depend on a lot of factors. And again, I don't want to speculate about something that hasn't happened.
1: But there will be one if you don't get what you you need in Springfield. I think it'll be very difficult to avoid a property tax increase if we do not get help from Springfield. But can you tell us how large it'll be? No, I will don't. Will it I be don't. along the lines of Rahm Emanuel's uh, $838 million? Look, look,
0: we've got we've run a, a lot of different scenarios.
1: Or $588 million, well, excuse me. We've
0: run a lot of different um, scenarios looking at options Best case, worst case. Uh, and so
1: we'll be prepared. What's the if range?
0: Well, I, again, I don't want to speculate about something that hasn't happened. And that's something that I'm hoping to avoid.
1: So what we know about your local control taxes are the congestion fee. Mm-hmm. Uh, $40 million, $20 million of it dedicated to improving bus service. But Uber and Lyft are fighting tooth and nail against oh, yeah, of this. Of course they will. You kn- of course you knew it. Yes. But, I mean, they're saying it's unfair you're tripling the tax on downtown trips, and you're even raising very largely, about 70 80% trips in the neighborhoods that are so low. Look, um, <clears throat> the rideshare companies have had a very good run here in Chicago. And
0: as a consequence, we've seen traffic congestion increase 271%. They should partner with us on how to address this. And I hope they will. I'm not surprised that they are already launched their campaign. Um, but the truth of the matter is, for those who ride in actual ride share, meaning more, two or more people, um, the amount of, of the increase is very modest. It's, it's 53 cents per ride. So let's not overstate it.
1: Well, it's not modest for the guy who takes a trip in the downtown area. No, and you're you're clobbering those people. For
0: some, and I don't think clobbering is even fair. For those who decide that they want a single ride into the downtown area. During the peak congestion time, yes, there will be a premium that is placed upon those kinds of rides. We're trying to incentivize people to actually use public transportation, actually double up on rides because we the, the level of traffic that we are experiencing in the downtown area is fundamentally unsustainable. Um, Howard Brookens, the chairman of the transportation committee, talked about the fact that it's faster for him to get from 97th Street to the downtown than it is to get from the expressway once Gets off to City Hall. That is an experience that a lot of people have over and over again, every single day. Our buses are in gridlock. Our transport, our cars are in gridlock. What about
1: trucks though? Trucks are huge contributors. I see them every day standing there. They're not supposed to be. So we why we, why leave them alone? So
0: we are going to make sure that we are vigorously enforcing the traffic laws in the downtown area in a way that we haven't seen before. But the but the let's focus on really what is increasing it and it is rideshare. There are a lot of people that take a trip, they come downtown, they linger in the downtown area hoping that they can get another another fare, um, they're idling in different places. It's a huge issue. It's a huge issue and we have to tackle it so that we can make our city transportation friendly. The biggest thing that I'm I'm interested in too is the congestion study that will be launched yeah. um, with some of the resources that we're going we well, well, to. What will that lead to?
1: What could it lead to? Dr- charging everyone who drives downtown some money?
0: I don't see a world in which that happens. But again, I'm going to be our decisions that we make on the policy have to be driven by the data, and we don't have enough data yet to be able to make those kind of longer term, bigger policy um, decisions. I'm going to be led by the data. I look forward to the traffic study, a congestion study being launched, um, because it's a larger issue. There was no coincidence that today we um, revealed not only rideshare, but also what we're going to do to try to relieve um, congestion along bus routes by taking some of the reforms that we've seen downtown into the neighborhoods and some of the most high traffic bus routes. Those are all important as well. We want to get people to get back on the buses. We know we can do that, but the only way we can do that is we alleviate some of that congestion Um, And when you've got cars and um, buses and other modes of transportation on the same streets all at once, it becomes a a traffic nightmare, and we want to alleviate that.
1: What will you do to even the playing field between ride-sharing and taxis? Well,
0: we we are still in conversation um, with a number of different stakeholders about that, but I'm very sympathetic to the taxi drivers, the taxi market, um, in Chicago has been devastated. There are places that you can go in the city that used to have a lot of yeah. um, taxis. Isn't it too late? I don't think it's too late. I do not. Um, but we must do something and do something soon because the taxi industry in this town is dying. Is is been decimated? Yeah. There are places that you can go um, that used to see a lot of, of taxis in prime time. You won't even find one.
1: Will there be any other taxes and fees in the budget? The ones that you can t- control without the Springfield help.
0: We are still putting the final numbers together, but we may see some modest increases. In I'm not going to reveal. You'll have to come on on
1: Wednesday. I'll be there. I'll be there. Uh, Will you close out the 3,100 vacancies? That's a huge savings for you. We are. 200 million. We are
0: definitely going to be um, getting rid of a substantial number of vacancies, yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, Permanently. How many of those?
0: Um, I don't have
1: final numbers at my fingertips. But you're going to close most of them out. We're going to close a lot of them out, yes. Because? Because we can't afford it. The unions um, would love to see the possibility of filling those vacancies, no, I understand that.
0: But I think also my conversations with my friends in organized labor, they recognize that the, the situation that we're in. Um, we have brought them along on the journey, been talking to them along the way about what our plans are. We've been very transparent with them. Um, And so I think um, they are in a good place. I don't want to speak for them, of course, but we've been very thoughtful about making sure that we reach out to a range of different stakeholders. Everybody knows that there's got to be shared sacrifice. This is a very tough budget.
1: Now, the mental health centers, Mm -hmm. the alderman wants you to reopen the Mm -hmm. six that Rahm Emanuel closed. Mm -hmm. Will you? Or do you have some other plan?
0: Look, what I know from talking to a lot of stakeholders, this is something that's really very important to me, the level of trauma that people are experiencing in this city is profound, and particularly our young people. What I know is that we need to have a community community network of care. Some people are not ever going to go to a clinic. Some people prefer to have private doctors. Some people are comfortable in a community-based setting that's a kind of mix of the two. So we have to have a menu of choices at the neighborhood level that meet the needs of the full range of people who are experiencing um, challenges in their life, whether it's people who have documented mental illnesses, people who are suffering from depression, PTSD. That's the level of care that we need to be. So, will you open to.
1: the clinics, the well, city
0: clinics, or we, is that we are we are we are not there yet? Um, we are listening to a, a range of stakeholders, and we will be revealing as part of our budget plan what that's going to look
1: like. It sounds like a no, at least not all six for sure.
0: Well, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll be disclosing it as part of the budget address. But my primary focus is on making sure that we've got a continuum of care in the neighborhoods that actually meet people where they are so we can incentivize people to get the help that they need that's
1: affordable and accessible. The $10 billion pension consolidation bond that Rahm Emanuel proposed, he said it could save you $200 million. Will you do at least a form of it, some form of it, a smaller version of it? Well, we're certainly not going to do
0: um, a $10 billion POB. Um, I think that would not be in the best interest of taxpayers. I think it's very risky. Again, um, the- You're gonna do a smaller one? There, look, we're looking at a range of options. I don't wanna commit one way or the other at this point, but we're certainly not doing anything um, in the range of $10 billion. But you're looking at a
1: smaller version of it? We're we're looking at a range of options. And why are you looking at a smaller version of it?
0: Well, look, as I said, we're looking at a lot of different scenarios. A lot of what we do will depend upon what we get from Springfield, Um, so we'll see. But we've got to get. We have to have a number of different tools that are. So at if the you ready. do it,
1: you won't be doing it in a hugely risky way. You do it maybe no. two billion or five billion, something like that. Well,
0: again, I don't want to. I don't want to speculate about what may or may not happen. A lot will depend on what we see
1: out of Springfield in the veto session. Now the cuts. You've talked about reopening two detective areas. Mm-hmm. You've talked about merging the administrative functions of police and fire mm-hmm. and OEMC to put 151 sworn back on the street. Mm -hmm. That's a first down payment. What else are you going to do to get more officers on the street and to cut costs?
0: Well, we are are doing a top-to-bottom analysis of where um, our policing assets are, within a department, where are they in specialized units? We have one of the highest headcounts of in the police department that we've had in 10 or 15 years. We're over 13,000 um, sworn. We need to make sure that those assets are accurately and appropriately deployed in the neighborhoods. I wanna make sure that our district commanders have every resource at their disposal to meet the needs um, of their neighborhoods. And we need to do a better job of making sure that we put those um, patrol officers in particular back in the districts. So that's really what the focus on. So the first step is um, combining the administrative functions. We're in process with a staffing um, study, and then we will be making the necessary changes um, to really make sure that we are fighting crime effectively by having as many people back on the beat in the districts out of headquarters. You're gonna
1: get rid of specialized units, a lot of them. You've got uh, a lot of them, like dozens and dozens of
0: them. We're certainly looking at specialized units. My primary focus is no district commander should have to beg, borrow, and steal to have resources that he or she needs, particularly during the summer months, to get the job done.
1: What other cuts can you make though? What other cuts will you be making to, for example, uh, the police brass. There are huge numbers of of, of people at headquarters well, making huge salaries. Well, we're
0: looking. We're looking. At everything, there are no sacred cows. Obviously, we're not going to do anything to, that contributes to making our city um, less safe. But certainly, we're looking at every single department—not just the police department—every single department to look where we can run things more efficiently and better deliver on the services to
1: residents. Now, you say you're not going to close fire stations, but there's a heck of a lot more you can do to cut costs in that in that <coughs> look, department we're, we're as well. In,
0: that contract is open. We're in the throes of negotiations. Those will pick up um, in the coming days. Um, and we, you know, I've been very upfront with the um, head of the union with whom I have a great relationship. I think that there are needs that they they need from us. Um, which I've heard, and we're going to make sure that we build that into the budget. But we're never closing fire station. But I think there are things that we can do to make sure that the fire department um, has the resources it needs to really respond to what are the primary functions of of the fire department now, which is calls for medical service. So we've got to make sure that we are responding to those needs as well. And we will push for that as part of the negotiation
1: So how do you do that? I mean, uh, uh, Inspector General Ferguson has talked a lot about some of the perks in that contract, the extra pay, the holiday pay, the daily days, all these things that are larded into that contract. Mm -hmm. What will you do to change that? Well, look, I'm not going to negotiate the contract here, but I'm very mindful of the things um,
0: that are necessary to make sure that our brave men and women in the fire department have the tools that they need that are necessary to respond to the challenges that are out there, which are overwhelmingly calls for medical service. So those are the conversations that we will have um, with the union at the bargaining table. So do you want more ambulances, even more? Oh, we have to have more ambulances. How many more? I I don't have a, a precise number in my head, but everybody knows that. And the union, I think, fully supports it. We have to have more ambulances. We need to cut down on response times and we need the ambulances. To be responding, or some hybrid um, uh, equipment to be responding to these calls for service. We don't need to have a huge fire truck um, respond to somebody who's um, got a, a medical need.
1: So does Chicago has too many fire trucks and too few ambulances. Oh,
0: well, I'm not going to say that, but we definitely need to have more ambulances. But you can't
1: afford them if you don't cut somewhere.
0: Well, right? I, I think I think that we can negotiate a fair contract. Um, that both the union and the city agree we need more ambulances, and we will work to make sure that we bring those online.
1: The minimum wage controversy. Should TIPs be involved? No. Should, they should not. So, Correct. why not? Tell me why.
0: Because I think there are a lot of uh, employees that I've heard from, I've heard from restaurant owners um, that um, like um, the TIP um, wage. Um, they, they benefited from it, and I'm going to be responsive to those needs. I think there's a lot that we can do to really uplift um, the quality of life through raising the minimum wage and getting there faster um, than than the state um, is currently. Um, but we have to do that in a way that is respectful to the realities of um, how industries work. It's not one-size-fits-all And the restaurant industry, from the workers to the um Uh, to the management, have said, I think, pretty resoundingly, that the tip wage is something that should be preserved.
1: Gay set-asides, will we see them? Should there be any?
0: We're working on it. I think, yes,
1: I think we should see them. And how much would it be, or should it be? And how do you prove that someone really is gay? Right. So those are the details that we are working on. And when we have a
0: more uh, fully baked plan, we'll certainly let you know.
1: But that's been the controversy up until now, that white men might benefit, and you know what I mean? How do you get around that? Well,
0: I think we have to look at the realities of what businesses are out there. We have to make sure that we incentivize diversity. Um, So those are the the issues that we're we're working through right now.
1: Ed Burke has quit his law firm to satisfy the ethics uh, ordinance. Is that enough when his daughter still works there and we don't know what the arrangement is?
0: Well, I don't know the reasons why um, Ed Burke uh, left his law firm. I think that he, I don't. I don't recall seeing any um, conversation from him explaining why he did that. Um, I thought it was an interesting development. Um, What'd you make of it? I thought it was an
1: interesting development. <laughs> <laughs> she said with a smile. And what do you make of the whole investigation? Commonwealth Edison, the CEO, quit well, this week.
0: Look, I, I think it's not a stretch to say that um, when you know that this investigation has been going on, I think, four or five years. You have a sitting alderman who's been wearing a wire um, for a couple of years. It's not surprising that this investigation has a lot of different tentacles to it. It's interesting to me um, as a former prosecutor, um, but it's also concerning to me. The allegations against some of these folks that we've seen now played out in search warrant affidavits are really troubling. And it pains me any time that we see a public official compromising themselves or trying to monetize their position. I've not made a secret about that. Um, I uh, will say again that I hope that whatever it is, that my former colleagues um, at the U.S. Attorney's Office and in the FBI rip the bandage off. Let's put it all out on the table so that people know where the chips are going to fall, and that we can adjust and move forward.
1: Will it impact the Commonwealth Edison franchise talks?
0: We are in a very early discussions there, but certainly we are looking at what the facts are there.
1: Well, how will it impact? I
0: don't know that it will, but we are certainly following it with great interest. It's concerning. The allegations are quite concerning. And it's a big deal, obviously, that the CEO, who I think Um, by all accounts, was a very well-regarded business person and just a a good person has now um, fallen to the side as a result of this investigation. So we are following it with great interest.
1: When I think of your job, I think of the Ed Sullivan show. I know I'm dating myself, but the guy who spins the plates and tries to make (laughs) sure they don't fall.
0: I think of it as Lots of different planes flying overhead, and that we're constantly playing air traffic controller to figure out how we land them safely. (laughs) Okay.
1: Well, best of luck landing them, Mayor. Thank you. Thanks, and we'll see you all next week.